Welcome to Cannabis Data Science. Thanks for holding tight. Promise it's going to be worth your while today. So have yet another new idea to share with you today. And also want to share a lot of ideas about the group and kind of get everyone on the same page. Um, kind of talk about what we're doing here. What, what, like, what's the point of cannabis data at the end of the day? So I'll get into that momentarily. But before we, you know, formally kick off, for those of you who are new, my name's Keegan. Started Canlytics, so anyone can help out with statistics in the cannabis space. I think the cannabis space is a place for everyone. So grab your skills, grab any know-how you know, and come and join in on the fun. So the idea is it's not an exclusive club. Some industries are really hard to break into. And I think it would be real cool to see the cannabis industry be a place that's open to everybody. And so Canlytics is leading by doing. And so Canlytics is open to everyone, um, any skill set. And so the idea is, I mean, my, myself, by and far, far from the greatest of whatever you may want to call you oneself, um, whether it's a statistician, economist, um, data scientists, uh, I may use those words, but people may disagree, you know, if I am any of those things. But the idea is, I think that we can put all of our minds together with these awesome tools that we have here, right? The internet, computers, and I think we can make a positive impact to help a lot of people. So the idea is, you know, why should we just, you know, stand by and let all these golden opportunities get snatched up? So this is a place that I think should be open and, you know, anybody's welcome to come here, share your ideas, share your research. And the idea is by bouncing off our ideas together in an open manner where anyone can participate, um, values open to everybody, that we here can generate more value than you can with a treasure chest of $600 million. And I think we've already demonstrated that. And I would love to continue demonstrating that. And so I'm going to try to drive that point home here today. But that's what the group's about. And so without stealing the show, we'd like to spend today as a pretty open discussion so everyone has a chance to speak. So you don't have to. You're welcome to be a fly on the wall and listen. But if you want to speak up, speak up as much as you wish. So in no particular order, just starting in my top corner, Jacob, welcome to the group. Would you be interested in introducing yourself and what you hope to get out of the group or do in the cannabis space? It, and no, no pressure, as I said, or if you're taking a second to toggle your dials, I know it took me a second to then just chime in um, when you get those set. How about you, Candace? Anything on your mind? Anything that you're hoping to achieve this week? Uh, thank you, Keegan. Uh, let's see, I'm still working on the ERD, the markdown, and I did get the uh, uh, Panda profile reports for all the Washington State uh, 2021 data set, and I'm just gonna stuff it into a little PPT, and, and we can start, you know, just kind of keep chunking away on that Washington State data set, and who knows, you know, it might come out pretty cool. And then uh, there's some other things. And then once we do some data analysis on it or get the data uh, better, you know, we can start coming up with a bit of a plan and then I can, uh, you know, put it, upload it to Frog for everybody. And this is phenomenal. So a big complaint is that people trying to learn data science, they don't have good data sets to work on, or they're all working on the same data sets, right? You're, you all worked on the same Twitter posts. And it's like, you know, how much can we scrape these Twitter posts? And 
I think that's one of the fun things about the cannabis data science group is where we have novel data sets. Um, often we have to scrape them out of PDFs or APIs or what have you. But they're fun. It's real data. So we get real challenges. The Washington State data is one of the best examples of messy, messy data that a good data scientist needs is needed to clean up and analyze. So your work on that is going to go light years because once you get that data set approachable, then people all across the world can can use this even if it's just as a test right so instead of testing your machine learning models on twitter posts you can test your machine learning models on washington state traceability data which is which is kind of cool uh in my opinion so fantastic work candace this will pay off here in the coming weeks so thank you Oh, and uh, yeah, Ryan had put in a note and uh, he said Canalytics. This one is C-A-N-N-L-Y-T-I-C-S, Ryan. But you, you can take it away. Sorry, Keegan. Ah, so Canalytics. Yes. There's .ia.ai, my Canalytics. Oh, so thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much, Keegan, for what you're doing. And uh, everybody, everybody that chips in too, Jerry, John, everybody. Uh, it's uh, everyone. I mean, awesome. Thank you. Candace, can I ask you a question about the Washington data set you're working with? Please, John, <laughs> if that's okay, Candace. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, playing with, uh, I guess, toggling the switches. Yeah. No, quick question is that. Um, our own organization has an interest in ingested products at this point and uh, kind of typing the classes. Um, we've done an initial pass with um, just survey data that we've collected from users in California that are patients of my clinical colleague, Jean Talleran. Um, does the Washington data set, um, is it, does it have fields that speak to ingested data and uh, ingested um, products and potentially uh, we could look at that to try and figure out the type and frequency? Well, I, they're not uh, doing like uh, per customer dosing per se. No, but no. They, they but do, do they do they talk about gummies versus chocolates versus mints yeah, versus absolutely. beverages? And Yes, and Keegan has used that data set too in past uh, YouTube videos uh, showing that too, I believe. With Washington State, right. We've done Washington State, Oklahoma, uh, all kinds of uh, data sets. So, but um, yes, the answer is yes. There's all different okay. types of flour, there's uh, edibles, there's, um, I don't think they actually break it down. Keegan, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they break it down into like whether they're chocolates. Uh, 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 gummies, right? Yeah. But, but they do, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, they do uh, indicate that. Well, many thoughts because you two both raised many good ideas here and points. So, where to begin? Uh, I would begin by saying once you find one gold nugget in a data set, then there could easily be more. So, as you raised out or uh, raised the point. There's probably more gold in the Washington State data. Sure enough, John, I think we can approach your question because we can look at solid and liquid edibles. If we wanted to get fancy, we could use natural language processing and try to figure out which ones are chocolates, which ones are gummies, so on and so forth. But that would be a cherry on top. And then, as you said, so basically, John's after the types. So this would be THC to CBD ratio. And sure enough, we've got that data. So with the 2022 data, we still have to make that link. So we're still missing some IDs that we still need to request. But up to the end of 2021, we can match lab results to edibles that were sold. So we can see the distribution of THC to CBD in edibles that were sold in Washington State. 
the the full population. Excellent. So easier said than done wrangling this data. So Candace, now you actually have a demanded statistic. So we now want to know the THC to CBD ratio, which is a statistic for every single edible that was sold. And then we can subsequently create more statistics. So, you know, you can get fancy from there, but uh, maybe there's a, a pattern in rural versus urban or who, who knows. Uh, so, so that's uh, where you can start getting fun thinking of research questions. But first things first, we'll get the, the first statistic. So Candace, okay. if you, want, you want to start on that? You're welcome to. Uh, what do you mean on the first statistic that uh, we have? Are you on the THC ratio for all Washington State data 2021 edibles? Is that what Essentri you Essentially, yeah, we'll have to jump through a couple hoops. We'll have to get all the edibles. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get it done. And then essentially just take the ratio. maybe total THC uh, divided by total CBD. Um, Sounds good. If I might just okay. make a point here, if the data contains um, non-THC, non-CBD cannabinoid content fields, that would be even, that would be exactly the goal that we're trying to approach. So um, maybe when, when this moves to a point where you're willing to present this, maybe that would be a good, uh, good opportunity to see what, what can be mined from it. So uh, what you're talking about are like other ones like CBN, CBG. Yep, yep. CBG, okay. CBN, THCV, okay. if that in fact are fields in the so Washington like, State data. Right, or like the fields that are in skunk FX. I'm sorry, say that last one again, Candace. Like, like the fields in skunk FX. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I too loud? No, no, you're perfect. Oh, okay, because <laughs> I did test. I just uh, not to rain on your parade, but I think you may have the best luck with the THC and CBD because uh, I don't. I mean, it would be fun to see if there are any CBG, etc., edibles. But just from my experience, seeing a bunch of edible lab results, I just don't. I mean, the the the, the predominant ones you see, of course, are CBD, CBDA, THC, THCA. Um, uh, okay, wait a minute. Repeat that real quick. And uh, so, okay, CBDA, CBN, CBG. CBG. So, so, ba so basically, you should expect to see CBD, CBDA. CBDA, that's okay. Got that. THC. Right. And then THCA. THCA. Okay. So you'd expect to see. And then THCV. You would expect to see mostly THC and CBD. It would be curious to see if there's any acidic left. So CBDA and THCA, I would expect to be zero because the idea is when you process it into an edible. You typically have you typically have it go through decarboxylation. So you turn the acidics to their uh, uh, what's John? You probably know the correct word for this. The decarboxylated or neutral forms. So they're like psychoactive at that point. So you would expect, but I mean, they still may have trace amounts of CBDA and THCA. But long story short is. These are you typically ingredients that would be added as you know isolates or distillates into a soda or into an edible. So it would be unlikely for somebody to be adding in CBG, THCV, CBN, etc. But they may. So, um, for example, and Keegan, they are. Yes. They're rarer products, and that's why it becomes of interest because we're trying to tease out 
the story on those. No, they definitely exist. We have them and others have them in their product databases that we've been looking at. But as you point out, of course, it's just rarer because the market hasn't moved in that direction yet so much. But it is a very fruitful, interesting area. And there are big players looking at this. So um, well, let's just keep an eye on, you know, they're called rare cannabinoids for a reason. And you know what else is rare? Gold. Um, and so that's basically what we're doing. We're, we're, pan, we're panning for gold here. So we've got the tools. So basically we can look through this data set and see if, are there any edibles that were sold with CBN? Um, so I think I've even seen some at the store. Yep. And basically, I guess the, I guess it's not really a claim, but the link that's trying to be advertised is maybe CBN, maybe uh, correlated with a sleepy effect. Um, so I don't know how people are marketing the the compounds, but but this is something that we can investigate so we've got some cool tools in our belt so what i would do is look at natural language processing plus these rare compounds so try to find any edibles that have cbn etc in them use natural language processing on the sample name and try to figure out are they capsules are they uh chocolates you know so on and so forth um so that's where you could get fun with it um to see if there's any insights that you could uh pull out because ideally i think the business question is what's selling so if you can find some cbn edibles that are selling off the shelf in seattle then that would be a valuable find and the data is just sitting there and I don't know if anybody's looked at that, at least not publicly. And so now we've got a bunch of awesome data scientists here. The question's been posed. We've got all the open source tools in our tool belt. So I think we can answer this question for you. So a coming question uh, or topic, I think for, for next week is, so, how do we get compensated for our work? And a nifty tool that I'll be sharing with you is essentially, okay, I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. So basically what we're looking at here is basically, you know, the, the, the word has gotten a little overused, a little hyped. But the idea is we can basically create, you know, non-fungible tokens, NFTs for data, as well as algorithms. So the idea is we could all, you know, write little bitty algorithms that help collect data. You would have, you know, ownership of the algorithms you wrote and you could potentially buy or sell them. And then people could then pay you to use your algorithms. And so the idea is Candace may write a nifty algorithm. I may use another algorithm, maybe that incorporates Candace's, and maybe I, you know, pay her a fee to use hers. Or maybe I write my own. And then maybe John wants to come along and then use those two algorithms to get some data. And so the idea is John could pay a nominal fee to Candace to use her algorithm or to me. Hopefully the fee is low enough that it's well worth John's while. So pennies on the dollar is the idea. So then Candace gets compensated for writing the algorithm. John gets the data he needs. It's all perfectly traceable. So there's no question about where did this data come from how is the data cleaned it's all essentially on you know the blockchain we you know we can decide which blockchain um so I'll, I'll talk you know specifics about this more next week because this is something i've we're not and i'm standing on the shoulders of giants so this is a project that somebody's already done here 
so so long story short this is a project that somebody's already done we're just wrapping it up into canlytics um so if you're particularly interested in this uh, let me know because i'll share more about the project details with you i'm trying to keep it a a little hush hush um but at the same time i think because we're this open group i don't think closed groups can compete with us so that's why i'm fairly open about our ideas right um so for example this skunk effects model that we just built i mean we built that in a matter of like two weeks or so and yes it's got its flaws yes it can be improved but this is a model that would have taken a corporation what i mean they would have waited to file the the trademark they would have waited to file a patent i mean this would have been six months to two years out the door easily and you know millions of dollars spent on what um and so here we just effortlessly made a prediction model in a matter of weeks that you know companies just can't they just can't touch so so that's why it's been sort of slow demonstrating you know the power of canalytics but i mean we have all the greatest data scientists in the world on this and the idea is now we just need to get them compensated and that's exactly what the data nfts the algorithm nfts bring to the picture it finally adds a mechanism for all of you great contributors to finally get paid so now you can get paid for your algorithms you can get paid for finding data you can get paid for sharing data and you know i think this has been a critical missing piece of the puzzle so this will be getting built in the coming weeks so it's sort of a call to action right now so if any of you want to help contribute then at the moment can add you on to authorship you can share in the copyright so at the moment we can share copyrights and get this built and then at that point you can actually get paid for writing algorithms or cleaning data and i think this is going to be revolutionary so as i said this is a project that somebody's just doing in general it's just general data nfts general algorithm nfts um but I think we can get it to catch on here in the cannabis space. Um, and I foresee things like this catching on in most fields. And then that way, you know, data scientists like yourself can actually get compensated. So I think it's a cool project. Um, we'll just be an example of it. Keegan, can I um, just follow on on that? Because um, as this gets discussed within this group, I would just point out that there's an organization called the ethical data alliance which is absolutely doing this has some grants um from some it organizations to help move this along it's in the cannabis space because that's their their focus um and they've been talking about or they are creating something called the ethical uh eden whatever that is the um the network that this would be on so I would just say it's probably worth looking at or talking um, to folks in EDA just to see how it overlaps or uh, complements or whatever. Um, you know, this is going on, and so it's worth uh, being aware of it. Exactly. And I kind of want to tie this into something where I often say here, oh, you know, we're advancing cannabis science and we're advancing statistics and this and that. Does that mean that I'm the greatest mind out there advancing the greatest theories, doing the greatest work? No, 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 no. Far, far from it. That was sort of the point at the very beginning is we may be some of the, the least skilled. Um, I, and we're just doing the best we can. But the idea is if we get a bunch of small fish together we can form a giant school of fish um and we, and the whole idea is stand on the shoulders of giants so the idea is these are awesome tools that some of the brightest minds in the world are making 
we don't necessarily need to make them. We, we if we use these tools, that helps advance the field, right? So that, in my opinion, so if we use statistics, I think that helps advance statistics. If we apply statistical models to the cannabis industry in a new way that nobody else has done before, I think that helps advance the fields. Are our statistics perfect? No. Does the analysis need to be done again? Yes. Does the analysis need to be done more rigorously? Yes. Do we need to do more homework? Yes. Are we asking novel questions? I hope so. You know, are we applying methods in novel ways? I hope so. So I think that's sort of the idea behind the contribution we make is somebody needs to come back and do it much, much better. But it's sort of like the law of large numbers, right? You need to do a scientific test, right? You know, thousands and thousands of times. But, you know, the first one provides a lot of value and it could be wildly, wildly off, but it gets people thinking and then somebody can come along and test it again and then test it again, test it again, test it again. And so, the you know, what is the actual result easily could change over time. So, as I said, take all of our analysis as a grain of salt, but I think the value we add is we may introduce an idea into the space, at which point uh, better and greater minds can iterate upon this. So, so that's what I mean when I say, I think we're advancing cannabis science, is um, I think we're just treading on ground that no one's gone before. And I think there's value to that. Um, but, but we do need to do so in a, you know, an ethical manner, right? When you're treading on new ground, uh, you know, you can't just be leaving a bunch of garbage all over the place or making a mess for people who may wish to follow in your footsteps. So so we do need to, you know, tread carefully. Um, so that's getting a little abstract. So if you're interested, I've got a quick 15 minute presentation to share with you. And then, John, do you have any work to share or? Um. I, I have a couple points I wouldn't mind bringing up to the group at this point. So sure, but um, Ooh. if there's time. Would you mind, uh, well, would you mind if I ran through just a... No, I, please. Well, actually, actually, yeah, if, if you're okay, I'll just run through just a, a teaser of the work I'll, I'll be working on. And if any of you want to uh, lend a hand, and then John, I'll I'll uh, give it the floor to you for for the last fifteen minutes or so for you to. I don't even need that much. Okay. Well, without further ado, I'll just share with you real real quick what I had been thinking about. So, this you can think of this what it was, but this is sort of the point about canalytics is you know what what do I value. So this is just a fictitious quote that I heard one time that I really liked a lot. Um, and so to me, I personally think code is maybe one of the most valuable things out there. So that's what I value um, and that's what Canlytics values. Um, so if any of you want to share in the copyright of the code, I think that's a valuable thing. And so I'm more than happy to share that with you. So please, please email me if you have any contribution and, and a contribution can mean anything so really you know if you help help share ideas or share data sets with me i would love to share authorship with you and i haven't been very good about that in the past so please be in touch with me and i'll be happy to share authorship with people abundantly next gonna be rigorous here about following the scientific process so it's just going to outline real quick the steps of a quick research question. So basically the research question that, that I've posed, but I kind of want to formally look through it in a scientific manner is I've got this hypothesis that a cannabis consumer's personality affects the type of cannabis that they choose to purchase. So just to kind of just 
you know, stab in the dark. Um, I was thinking that, oh, you know, maybe just, a, you know, a hypothesis is maybe a little more than a guess, right? It's a guess or, a, you know, my belief from just what I've observed in the world. And basically, that right, there's introverts and extroverts. It's a bit of a scale. Um, it's not a zero or one thing. Um, so we're expecting a scale. And there's other personality traits, but that's maybe one of them. And maybe they like cannabis differently. So I've got this hunch that maybe extroverts may like more of the indica type strains. Um, and then maybe the introverts may, may like more of the sativa-like strains. Is there anything to that? Who knows? We can kind of test it statistically. So how do we go about doing that? Well, first, we need to look at the literature to see who's talked about this before and what concepts in the scientific you know, literature can we use? And the big one I wanted to use is one, revealed preference, in that an economist would say you can't just ask somebody um, about themselves, about their preferences. You have to determine that from looking at their actions. So the idea here is we can't just ask somebody what their personality is. We have to determine what their personality is from their actions. Um, same with purchasing patterns. We can't just ask people what they want to purchase. We actually have to observe what they purchase. Next, what are we even talking about when we're talking about personality? Well, this is cool because now is where we kind of get the sample from different fields. So we get to sample from psychology and say, cool, you know, the psychologists have studied personality and they've widely agreed upon five personality traits that kind of are on a scale. So I'm treating it as zero to one. So five traits on a scale, widely, widely criticized and also widely uh, referenced by psychologists. Cool. So we've got some, you know, shoulders of giants to stand upon. Next, we need our actual methodology. So what's our actual statistical framework that we'll be using? So I picked the simplest statistical model in the book the ordinary least squares regression. I suppose difference of means or something like that may technically be a simpler method of analysis, but this is pretty simple. The idea here is how are we even measuring indica versus sativa? Well, thanks to awesome work being done by John, it's appearing that the ratio between beta-pinene and D-limonene may better characterize the sativa-indica dichotomy. So instead of using a dichotomy, we'll use a continuous variable, R, which is going to be the ratio between beta-pinene and D-limonene. We'll take the average by user. So maybe a user may pick a bunch of different strains, but maybe on average, they'll pick out, hopefully, strains that they'd like. So they may accidentally pick out a strain that's high in D-limonene and not like it, or they may accidentally pick out a strain that's high in beta-pinene, love it, not like it, who knows. The idea is after they try many, many, many samples, they'll on average, hopefully, be picking out the ones that they like. Will this hold up to the data? We'll see. And then the idea is we can now have the five 
personality traits, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, which is basically like uh, sensitivity. Uh, I think they called it like emotional uh, sensitivity or something like that. Closed to new ideas is neuroticism. The definition. Say that one more time. Closed to new ideas. Uh, the emotional one, the neurotic. Yeah, neuro- the, the the I I think the the comparison is openness or closedness to new ideas, and I think that's what falls into neurotic. It's considered so, a closure to, so, to not a lack of openness. So got to do more research myself. I think closedness would be the converse to openness. Mm-hmm. I think the this is basically emotional stability so like are you highly emotional or are you stoic um like so like do you let your emotions show or not um is sort of the neuroticism one is the way i kind of understand that one um and then agreeableness uh you know agreeable disagreeable extroversion introversion I don't really know what the, uh, I think the conscientious versus intuitive. Uh, so is this, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't know too much about this. This one may be the logic versus feeling one, but anywho, please, please read up on these because this is a deep, deep subject, right? I mean, this is, this is the field of psychology. So there's a lot, a lot of meat here. Uh, but the idea is if we scale these zero to one, and I, right, and I just, probably I no have a question to... about that. Then if you're going to take all of those personality types and scale it zero to one, you should have two words there and not just one term. It should be openness, closeness, conscientiousness, uh, whatever the opposite of that mm-hmm. is. You're a hundred percent right, and so, so, I just grabbed these from Wikipedia. But but please double check me on this because the idea is, uh, these words uh, are supposed to convey a scale. It's basically like a zero to one extroversion, a zero to one agreeableness. So would zero be introversion or extroversion, and one would which would one be? Uh, good point. Um, I'm basically treating one as extroverted and zero as introverted. Um, and can I just make a comment here because this is precisely what um, we're facing um, as we talk about these kinds of scales in our dosing project work. We have a really great collaborator. Uh, who's a clinical psychologist in the form of Jeffrey Tarrant out of Eugene, Oregon. Um, And so we do spend time talking about this. And in point of fact, in some of our most recent discussions, he says, no, don't go binary on this. Um, It's better to do it as a bit of an ordinal scale. It's got a term, I think it's called Langford or something, scales. And he's convinced us that as we do survey work, um, we need to... um, not be doing it binary, but in fact, asking folks, um, you know, for if they're responding in the moment or whatever, but it needs to be kind of a a scale, Jerry, kind of along the way you're saying. Um, I went into this so impressed with the binary. Ted just posted something, posted a link that I looked at, and I think that explains it very well. Okay. Um, But you're you're 100% right. I put it in the chat. So, so there, there's different words for for these, um, and so that's actually one of the challenges you're, you'll run into here in the psychology literature, is they're kind of always using different terminology for these. Um, but uh, I, I just tried to, uh, to standardize it the best I could. But you're 100 percent right, Jerry, in that. Um, well, if you, if you look at where, where Candace, uh, the link she put in the chat, it gives you the uh, both sides of the scale. Spot on. So I, we, we, okay, we clearly raised 
so this is what, what's awesome about presenting this research to you is we we get to find out really quickly what points need more clarification and that's what's awesome about working with you all right so this is not just you know this is a team effort right in my book this is team research because your feedback is in my opinion part of the most critical step so here you know i presented an idea to you and then you bounced back that hey you know we need to much clearly define these personality traits the scale seems like a good idea but we need to clearly define the both ends of the scale awesome so so that's uh so essentially all the points you raised have already improved the research so just by coming and sharing your thoughts you've in my opinion helped advance this research question which i feel is advancing cannabis science so that's what i mean by what i say by you coming i think you're helping advance cannabis science um as i said it, it may be a snowflake uh but you know, snowflakes add up. So Keegan, if this, you know, really is of interest, um, there are established scales for this. Um, in particular, we're, we're very familiar with one called Brunel Mood that we have used with cannabis data. And, you know, it allows respondents to uh, respond to a series of words that roll up into key moods and we've looked or we can continue to look at um how the acute cannabis response changes your mood but one needs to select a scale scale means a survey so for example um you know i would if this if folks want to go down this pathway i would advocate looking very seriously at established scales like brunel mood it's it quite robust I love it, John, and I love that you've already researched this topic. So, and that's I have a I could present on this at a future meeting because yeah, I mean uh, we have a a good number of years working together with Jeff Tarrant and Eugene on this. Well, so um, if this is relevant, you know, let's in a future meeting I'll walk you through some of our Brooms data or Brooms interpretations. Well, we may have an awesome platform for you, so hold yeah. tight because we may actually have a, a good time for you to present your... John, could you put that scale in the uh, in the chat so we get the correct spelling? You know, Jerry, I don't do that kind of stuff very well. Um, <laughs> it's just, can I just suggest that you look up Brunel Mood? I can spell it. You spell or, it for me, yeah. Yeah, B-R-U-N-E-L. Yeah. You'll have no problem finding it. Okay, Brunel Mood. Brunel mood or brooms that's sometimes called Brunel mood scale, B-R-U-M-S. We'll find, we'll look for it. Thank you. Very widely available. And John, you've now helped our literature review because what my literature review failed to unearth, you effortlessly provided. So now here I'm shooting in the dark and all of a sudden you just now pointed us to, oh, you know, this is the metric you need to use. And so this is sort of my point is, you know, in, instead of me now going off on a wild goose chase for months on end, which I see happen all the time, uh, like uh, <laughs> at, at universities and whatnot, right? You could, I could have gone on a six month goose, goose chase. Um, and then I would have then presented my work to John and he said, oh, would, have you tried the Brunel mood test yeah. scale? And then I would have been like, oh, well, no, well, back to the drawing board. And so basically now, instead of, you know, wasting all that time, you know, I thought of this. And then, you know, one day later, get to bounce it off of John, gets ba bounced back to my court. So the idea is we can just do this rapid, rapid research um, that re it's when you spend a bit of time around uh you know university professors uh, one time a university professor specifically told me like like you know 
things things move slowly here um uh and you just have to get used to that um so you know i'm sort of a, a go 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 type of person um and so whether research should be done that way or not that's an opinion but i think in this open manner we can do research quickly and at the brunel mood at a, at a, at a uh, and i just put the link in the chat uh of an assessment and it it may be too it, it may be so detailed as to make the make any result that we would come up with be insignificant i mean it has 24 different uh mood characteristics everywhere from panicky to uncertain we we want to add rigor to our analysis jerry so this could be a good way to do it so and so jerry we have we use it in the acute setting so we ask folks before they get high um to fill this out you fill it out really fast because you're right. um you're simply it's like a button click for does the word apply or how much the word applies at that moment right, I, then, but i think what what keegan's looking for is personality type and not mood yeah and that so brooms is an example of of mood um it would be if we're doing personality we would probably find another scale or try or, or need to i'm just okay. pointing out that we have experience with the mood the acute mood change using brunel okay it's actually interesting and, and the real point i was trying to make is um not binary but this langford scale or whatever is being important because i think um i hope that's clear you know the the binary assessment is such a cool way of doing things but i think um we're we lose unfortunately uh, detail that way or or the ability to to find correlates or factor analysis or whatever if we're in binary mode is what terence was discussing with us this past week and i like your mood analysis and that actually will be relevant to a quick a quick uh something quick i want to show you today but the mood analysis could also be done to see if that's relevant um but the other point i wanted to raise is the economist would come in and say whoa 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 you know you can't just be asking people about you know their personality traits here uh you know what if somebody uh, wanted to mislead you for for some reason or another so or what if somebody just doesn't have time to take a personality test or this or that well this was a novel idea that other people have had but we can now use it here in the cannabis industry so i found a handful of examples of people doing this as i said on twitter posts and uh i saw ebay things so there's many uses for this but no one's done it in the cannabis industry yet so i think we could maybe take a stab at it and okay the idea is we've collected the consumer purchases and the lab results we also have the reviews for these purchases so now what we could do is we could use natural language processing look at somebody's review and try to scale it on zero to one for each of the five personality traits and why do i think that we can do this well there's been psychologists that have hypothesized that personality traits would probably show up in language and specifically that perhaps you know really important personality traits may may often get boiled down to single words so it it may not be the case it's not you know it's not tested this is just a hypothesis or it's not a, a theory yet it's just a hypothesis we need to rigorously test it but i mean what if it's the case that certain words are only used by really extroverted people or maybe maybe people who are really high in the degree of openness may use the word open 
a lot or you know who, you know who knows what this is you know and the idea is you know we could just read through a bunch of people's reviews and do the best we could at it but we could the idea is use natural language processing and spend much much more time on it so instead of reading through each sentence you know really really carefully you know we can just let the computer read through these sentences at just lightning fast rate perform logical operations at lightning fast rates so all it's doing is what a human would do which would be read the review okay you know we could train this on some data so we can see we can actually say okay here's a data set where someone's taken a psychology test here are their actual traits and then we can you know see how well we can predict those with the language they use so that's the idea and the the platform for this is so i'll just show you an example and i was thinking about i was gonna float it by the group here before you know formally booking it but i was thinking okay saturday morning is maybe not the best time for people so i was thinking about moving saturday morning statistics to thursday and uh, i was just going to see if anyone's thoughts about this and if this time may work for you but maybe you know thursday um, I should have said from 4.20 to about 5.30 Eastern Standard Time. So the first 10 minutes or so will be pretty casual. And then we'll do about an hour of, you know, rigorous analytics. So that way, you know, the Wednesday group, we're just kind of having this light discussion. But then, you know, next Thursday, we'll actually get into the, the nitty gritty of this and actually go through all of the, right? Because, uh, you know, a criticism that's been levied is, okay, we don't, we're not rigorous enough. We don't do enough training and testing of our models. And we may be providing misleading information because we're giving the illusion that we're doing statistics, but the statistics aren't robust and people may be drawing incorrect inferences from those statistics. So the idea is we'll do a really, really robust session here. So that way, you know, the Wednesday group, pretty casual, and then hardcore uh, on, on Thursday, where rigorous statistics, you get the results. We actually will have some faith in our results right so instead of just saying oh this is a a mock or this is a proof of concept no like we're this is this is a rigorous analysis we've tested we've trained we're confident as confident as we can be and you know this is advanced cannabis analytics right we're taking the most rigorous statistics out there applying it rigorously to the cannabis field in an open manner that anyone can participate in anyone can contribute so so that's the idea here and my, my question about language is uh different people from uh different social groups use language differently you raise especially it. especially non-english language you know first you like like either non-english speakers or people whose english is not their their first language so you raise this point jerry and i don't know if it's a good or bad thing but uh the first thing that comes to my mind is uh and this is uh from a statistical point of view a statistics professor once told me he looks for variability in his data because if there's variability you'll be able to do good statistics with it right statistics 
is the science of uncertainty. So the more uncertainty you have, the better statistics is a tool for that job. If there's not much uncertainty, you can just go to math. So I think we could actually use that essentially to our advantage in that, okay, that may very well be the case, but introverts and extroverts may still use language differently. So maybe English is somebody's second language, but maybe that may even make them even more predisposed to using certain words. So it could even be the case that we could predict personality traits even better um, if English is somebody's second language. May not be the case, but uh, but I think uh, it does add more variability, but I think uh, potentially could use it to our advantage, but, but it's definitely a, a good consideration. Can uh, I make a couple to... points? Um, and I think there's an elephant in this room. I mean, it's an interesting idea. Um, what I might propose is, um, so you brought up earlier the chemotyping dichotomy or chemotyping uh, classification that, you know, I'm certainly advocating that folks adopt and ride. So let's just say, for example, that's one of our principal uh, discriminators. So the chemotype of the botanical that's reported on, let's say that's point one. So you want to see if you can use natural language processing or some sort of computer algorithm to parse reviews. Maybe um, the parameter there is how active or passively written the text is. And what I mean by active is, I used this bud to get high as active. I would say, this product made me sleepy is passive. That's These are pretty important semantic distinctions. And so, and it may be quite easy to distinguish between an active, you know, an active review and a passive review. So you score it that way. That's all fine and dandy, but it hangs when you're done. It You've got to tie it to something for it to be relevant. And that's the dilemma I have. So what? You come up with at the end, two thirds of people like this chemotype who write active reviews and one third like the other one, then what? I mean, what have you, where do you go from there? That's the dilemma that I see. It's just, it's just a pretty thing to hang out there. It doesn't tie to anything. Ooh. And so I would encourage us to be thinking about, so what do you tie this kind of analysis or this kind of report so to? The way you raised many good points, so to address them in reverse order, what I would tie it to is predicting our hat. So what I, when you when you build this model, we often build coming from, you know, a learning statistics from a, a university. People are often interested in estimating beta because they just want to know the relationship between, say, openness and somebody's average ratio. But in the business world, you're more interested in prediction. So in the business world, you're more interested in predicting our hat. So given O, C, E, A, and N, what would be our hat? And so the idea is, I think this could benefit a consumer. So most people generally know their, well, actually, well, I don't know off the top of my head, so that may not be a, a correct statement. But the idea is, as a consumer, you could basically take a, a personality test, and one, you'd get your personality, and then two, you could say, oh, on average, people with your personality prefer this type of string. So that way, before you've even maybe maybe before you've even tried cannabis for the first time, you now know what people with your personality, what type of strains they may gravitate towards. It may be there may be absolutely no difference. Maybe everybody, maybe personality has no effect, 
So remember all these betas, these could all be zero. So that's the idea is we want to test to see it. I would say that people who market and produce and sell cannabis would want this information. And that's the idea is, oh, these psychology traits, right? That we're saying, oh, they get incorporated into language. Well, marketers are all about their marketing type. Uh, so it's like, oh, if you've got, you know, a, a strain that you think extroverts will love, maybe you can somehow market that to, to extroverts. Say, oh, you'll love this at a, a party or something like that. Um, I'm just, once I said, I'm just kind of stabbing there. Psychologies, I need to do a lot of, a lot of uh, reading up on. Um, but the idea is maybe, like Jerry said, maybe marketers could use this in tailoring products to certain personality types. And then, as I said, maybe consumers could use it to maybe make an educated get, uh, may, yeah, educated guess about uh, of what product uh, they may like. So, so that's the, the the main idea in a nutshell. As I said, a lot of the code is already written, but oh yeah, your first point was how do we actually assign the traits, and that's what I want to end up spending most of the time on Thursday talking about. Because that's sort of where all the fun comes. Uh, because I said, I'm not the first one who's done this, but basically kind of like what John's saying is, you know, do people use uh, passive or active sentences, so on and so forth? Then do those choices help predict personality? And then there's a couple training data sets we can use. Um, so there's basically a training data set where someone's written an essay and then they've also taken a personality test. So we can basically build a training so we can train our model on the training data set and then we'll use it on our actual data set. So, so that's how we'll go about using natural language processing, but that, that could almost use uh, a whole meetup of its own. So instead of Saturday, it'll be next Thursday and I, I think this one's going to be cool. So, so today presented the methodology, and then next Thursday we'll actually estimate it. But now I think I'm just kind of uh, uh, just going on, and I want to make sure everybody can get on with their day. So, any last thoughts, comments, questions before we call it a day here? <clears throat> For NLP uh, processing, is it uh, difficult to get? Uh, uh, personality traits of introverted person from uh, language because they mostly don't uh, review uh, products or uh, they don't uh, participate in social media and I guess it's uh, difficult to get personality of introverted persons. You raised an awesome point and basically what you raised is is there a systemic difference between people who are actually going about answering reviews? And this easily could be the case. So I talked about this where, uh, like the positivity bias. So maybe people who had a positive experience are more likely to re leave reviews. And as you mentioned, maybe people with certain personality traits are more likely to re leave reviews. I think that should be okay as long as our training data isn't biased. So our training data should be about equal, equal. Um, so actually, I don't even know if that necessarily matters. I don't know if you need an equidistribution of observations. Um, so I don't, I'll, I think it's an awesome point. I'll need to think about this. I want to think it's, I think we can work with this. Um, it'll just be our observed data. There just may be more extroverts that we observe. Um, that should be okay, but I think what you've raised is an excellent point. Uh, and it kind of hits on sampling bias. So this is a, a critical bias you've got to watch out for. So thank you to my 
sommelier. So thank you for bringing this point up. I think if one goes down this pathway, um, and so at the end, the results that you get, you get a, <coughs> excuse me, a predictive model, or you get a frequency count or, or an incidence count or something. So after you've done all your, your machinations, you say you come up with okay two thirds fall in this group one third fall in this group so what you have to i believe then pair this with something else and that might be actually some kind of interventional study or interventional trial where you then have it it sets the hypothesis for the group and then you have to go out and actually do it with people and see how well it matches maybe that's the approach. So what you're building initially is a hypothesis with the motivation to again go fund and do some kind of interventional study. Maybe that's its utility, but I'm concerned if you just do it in isolation, it hangs. And it's just another shiny, pretty picture on the wall. And John, you raised two critical points. The first being is even a, this beta pinene delemonine ratio, the key metric we should look at, or maybe we want to look at product type, et cetera. So our outcome variable we may want to think about. So, you know, maybe extroverts are more likely to try sodas. So there's many research questions we could ask there. The second more important point you raised is, is this essentially just a hypothesis? And your my answer is absolutely. That's essentially the value we're adding here is I think we're bringing forth or informalizing, hopefully, if not a novel hypothesis, at least we're, we're hopefully stating it slightly more formally. But, but this is, like I said, a hypothesis that's been on my mind. So I just kind of wanted to formally state it. And then exactly. You know, it's sort of the that picture of the law of large numbers that we saw. You know, we're just T equals one. So we're just showing how it could be done with this ad hoc data set that we happen to have in the public domain. But if you then go and do a clinical study or do a study with some of your own data, then that'll be T equals two, T equals three, so on and so forth. And so the more and more you test this, you know, the more likely these tests are to converge on the actual effect. So do I think we're going to actually measure the effect, the true effect, our first time we study this, the first model we estimate? Unlikely. But hopefully the idea is we can get a lot of great minds thinking about this. And then many, many people can estimate this model, test out this relationship. And then in the long run, hopefully we can figure out if there's any rhyme or reason to personality in cannabis. Is there anything to it? Um, I think it's interesting to think about. So I'll let you all chew on this until until next week. Well, we've got we've gone over. So I'll let you get out of here and enjoy your day. Just want yeah, to, thank, to go. Thank you. Thank you all very for very interesting again, Keenan. See you later. Good discussion. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Keegan. Thank you, everyone. Bye now.